Canada-U.S. relations over the last four years have been unpredictable at best, frosty at times, and a clear departure from what both nations had enjoyed until 2016. Now there's a new leader in the White House with a very full plate of issues to deal with. What will the Canada-U.S. relationship look like now? Hello and welcome to Unpublished TV. I'm Ed Hand. We're coming to you from a safe location, a remote location, practicing physical distancing to enhance safety. We share the longest undefended border in the world, although it remains closed to non-essential travel. Our economies are tightly linked. We share many of the same interests and issues. With Joe Biden now in the White House, there appears to be more room for collaboration on key files. Our unpublished vote question asked which issue should be the top discussion for Canada and the new U.S. administration. The options were China, Buy American, climate change, the pandemic, reopening the border, none of the above and unsure. By far, reopening the border was the top at 87.6%, and the pandemic coming in at second at just five. However you're watching and listening to our show, whether through our social media channels on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, or our podcast channels, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and more, I'd like to remind you, you can still cast your vote on this topic at unpublished.vote, and then email your MP to tell them why. Now, joining us to discuss on Unpublished TV, Bill Anderson is the director of the Cross-Border Institute at the University of Windsor. Fenn Hampson is the Chancellor's Professor and Professor of International Affairs at Carleton University. Eric Miller is the President of the Rideau Potomac Strategy Group. And Mark High is President of the Canada-U.S. Business Association. And, and gentlemen, I thank you all for joining us. And we'll talk about uh, the question first off, what should be the top issue? Obviously, 87 point six percent of our viewers and listeners say it should be reopening the border let's go around the horn eric is that uh, you think that's the top priority right now i think that's a crucial priority i, I think that fundamentally you're seeing big parts of the canada u.s economy particularly related to trade and services being torn apart by the pandemic but mind you the answer is not simply to reopen the border it's to reopen the border safely yeah. because canadians also say they do not want people with COVID uh, in its many varietals now coming into Canada. And so you need testing, you need to be able to recognize vaccines through uh, health passports, and you need ways to help local cross-border communities like the ones where uh, Mark and Bill live uh, to be able to, to deal with their own local realities as well. Fan, what, what do you think? Do you think that's the number one border or number one discussion between Canada and the U.S.? Well, there's certainly an urgency there that um, I think is affecting uh, all Canadians uh, who uh, do business on the other side of the border. And those Canadians uh, who are stuck in Florida and other points southwards who want to come home. But I think, um, you know, the, the urgency, as uh, Eric just said, um, uh, you know, it's not going to happen anytime soon uh, until uh, the pandemic uh, is under control. And... Um, there are other issues, uh, you know, that I think are, are just as important. You know, where where is the uh, Biden administration going in terms of uh, its Buy American uh, policies, which could really uh, uh, affect uh, Canadians? Um, the protectionist impulse that we saw under Trump is probably only going to get worse, not better. Um, that's going to be, uh, I, I think, a, a big issue in discussions going forward. We got kneecapped. Uh, with the executive order that was signed uh, by President Biden on his first day of office, uh, canceling the Keystone Pipeline. 
I don't think the pipeline's going anywhere, but it's an indication of just how low Canada is in the sights and the affections of uh, the new administration, notwithstanding the fact that there was a polite little telephone call between the president and the prime minister, um, you know, uh, uh, last Friday, I guess it was, or two weeks ago, Friday, three weeks ago, mm-hmm. Friday, losing track of time uh, with COVID. But. Yeah. Yeah, I think we all are. Uh, Bill, what do you think? Uh, reopening the border, top top of mind with our uh, listeners. Yeah, I was a little surprised to see that. I mean, I, I agree with it, the the idea that it is a very important thing. Uh, and I was I was surprised to see, I looked at your survey before before we came on here, and I was quite surprised to see that big number because at the same time, if you had surveys of the Canadian people in general, you know, like mm-hmm. nano surveys that have been done recently, there's a very strong feeling against reopening the border. So I, it. The way, you know, I think the issue is that the border is not actually the border isn't closed. There's trucks going back and forth across the border. We look at the data. Uh, if you look at the, the, the freight flows, um, they're really about the same now as they were last year. And that's been the case now for several months. Uh, I think uh, Eric made a good point about uh, trade and services uh, is completely undermined by the situation we have now. And also, we talk a lot to people that are in sort of advanced manufacturing, that are in sort of mold makers, people in automation and whatnot. And you have to remember that Canada doesn't trade with the United States. Canadian companies trade with American companies. And they have to get together. Uh, And, you know, you can't sell somebody a a big piece of capital equipment on the basis of saying, well, look at my website and, you know, click where, where you want it. Uh, you have to have site visits. You have to have negotiations and whatnot. That's what's not happening. And what what we're hearing from people in some of those industries are that they're losing contracts every week. So, in in a sense, we've got this cross border industrial complex uh, with all these people on opposite sides of the border that have been mixing carefully through organizations like Mark High's organization. They've been mixing very well over the years, and now it's we've got almost a year when they aren't able to get in the same room. And I think that in the long run, some serious damage is going to be done to uh, Canada-U.S. trade. And Mark, well, uh, just to, to finish up on our, uh, our our poll question about reopening the border being the number one issue with our viewers and listeners, I imagine that's probably the number one issue with, uh, with your organization as well. Well, that's true. Uh, I'm in Detroit. I look out my window. I see Windsor right across the river here. So, um, yeah, we're definitely um, uh, very interested and involved uh, with with trying to get the border uh, reopened. Um, We've uh, uh, joined with the NASCO group out of Texas. About 30 organizations signed a letter that got sent to uh, a dozen people in each of the uh, three countries uh, about a month ago. Uh, We're seeing reaction and I think uh, effects from that. Uh, the executive order that came out last week or two weeks ago from the president talked uh, about getting uh, recommendations on reopening the border. And then just this week, uh, the Northern Border Coalition uh, group of representatives, uh, uh, U.S. Congress, has sent a letter uh, with half a dozen uh, suggestions for getting this uh, reopened again to, to normal traffic. So um, uh, we think there's uh, yeah, some really uh, some real uh, um uh, momentum here uh, that uh, we hope we'll see some some progress uh, into the spring. Fan, uh, when it comes to uh, relations between countries, tone. How important is the tone when it comes to negotiating with with another country? And do you think it will improve between Canada and the U.S.? Well, I think uh, tone is important, and I think we could probably all agree that the tone was uh, was pretty brutal during the. Uh, 
previous administration of uh, Donald Trump. Um, but he also did some things that were, you know, in Canada's interest uh, when he uh, reversed uh, President Obama's uh, uh, cancellation of, uh, of Keystone. But I think, you know, the, the bigger question is, is ultimately, you know, what is the relationship uh, between the two leaders? Um, how effective uh, are we at uh, getting our message across to uh, uh, the American Congress? And, you know, we've seen periods in the history of relations where uh, a very strong personal relationship between the Canadian prime minister and the American president. And I'm thinking, obviously, of uh, the relationship between Brian Mulroney, uh, first with uh, 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 Ronald Reagan and then with uh, George Herbert Walker Bush. Um, you know, that, that very close relationship uh, played huge, divid huge dividends when it came to uh, negotiating not just the Canada-U.S. Uh, free trade agreement, but subsequent to that, uh, uh, the uh, negotiation of, uh, of NAFTA. And what it gives you uh, is, uh, is access to the White House. Um, and, um, uh, you know, others notice if, if you've got, uh, you know, an open door to the, uh, to the Oval Office. Um, I think there's no question that Prime Minister Trudeau does have a good relationship with Joe Biden, but you know, is it is it really one where um, you know Biden is going to pick up the phone, ask uh, Trudeau uh, what he thinks about something uh, before he chooses to act? Uh, we haven't seen a whole lot of evidence yet, but that's uh, still early days. Eric, uh, the Keystone XL pipeline, uh, the plug's been pulled on that. What do you see uh, that impacting relations or how that will impact relations? Yeah, so initially, th there was certainly an outcry of concern in Canada about the impact on the relationship. And in the United States, you're still seeing this reverberate. Thousands of good paying industrial jobs were essentially uh, lost overnight by the decision to uh, to cancel the Keystone XL pipeline. But without that presidential permit, it's very difficult for the United States uh, uh, or for, for the for TC Energy to, uh, uh, to go forward with the United States. Now, the key thing that Alberta is going to have to wrestle with is there's another pipeline, namely nine, Line 5, which goes in through northern Michigan and comes back into Canada through Sarnia that supplies a huge proportion of Western Canadian oil to southern Ontario. And Governor uh, Whitmer in Michigan has ordered that pipeline closed by May. And so in addition to Alberta dealing with the market access issues that it is facing with respect to Keystone XL, getting a solution on line five is also crucially important. And so one has to be judicious about how one uses one's political capital in this. There may be a, a, uh, a, an investor state dispute settlement case that's brought under the legacy NAFTA rules as per the uh, Kuzma or USMCA rules. Uh, but line five is also really important to Alberta. And all of this, of course, uh, ironically makes the Trudeau government's decision to buy the Trans Mountain Pipeline all the more important because that looks like it's going to be the key new access point to world markets for Alberta oil in the years ahead. 
Bill, uh, our, our number one export is oil, and uh, at least oil to the U.S. How are Canadians going to react to the the cancellation? We know how Alberta's going to react, but you know, it's a big country. Well, you know, I mean, I think Canadians, uh, you know, feel like if you really want to save the planet, uh, why don't you do something about oil production in the United States? And so, you know, that it's it's in a, in a way, it's 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 doing something to 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 bottle up some petroleum where. You know, you have a very rapid growing uh, petroleum industry in the United States right now. And I think, however, I don't think anybody should be surprised by this. I would have been very surprised if it didn't come out this way. Uh, and I think there's going to be a lot of this is a, 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 an Obama thing that that uh, Trump canceled. And now you have Biden is going to cancel that. But I would I would make the point that, you know, that it, it may be the, the largest single element in trade between the United States and Canada. But altogether, a much bigger part of the United States and Canada trade is actually manufacturing. And I think that for that reason, we should be worried about the Buy American thing, too. And uh, we should be worried about keeping keeping the border open and keeping supply chains functioning. Well, that was a perfect transition, Bill. Uh, Mark, I want to ask you about the Buy American policy. Is this going to become an irritant for, for the two or uh, like last time around when something was, was coming around? It seemed the provinces found a way around it. Well, yeah, we've been dealing with Buy America for uh, a long time here. Uh, uh, it's not uh, just a federal uh, program. There are uh, Buy America policies in place at states and uh, in counties uh, uh, and municipalities uh, across the U.S. Um, but I think if you look at the way they've been uh, interpreted, um, they generally find a way to uh, allow um, reciprocal uh, trade uh, with people that, that uh, um do the, the the same the other way uh, uh, and uh, because so many things that come from Canada half of them have US parts in them so I think mm -hmm. it's a pretty easy sale to to uh, uh, allow Canadian uh, uh, exemptions for for most of those policies I think that's Fair. been the past history I think that that's what will happen in the future now, Fen, you had brought up at the beginning about your concerns about protect protectionist actions and and you you got a feeling that there's going to be more well, I, I, I think, um, you know, there's protectionism at the uh, federal level in terms of federal procurement laws. There's also protectionism and, and uh, you know, mischief at, uh, at the state level, as uh, Eric just uh, mentioned, um, uh, in terms of, you know, regulation of, uh, of pipelines. I think, you know, um, it, the fact that the Biden administration is... Um, you know, has has a rather sort of fuzzy approach to this. They're they're introducing a new sort of value added requirement uh, in terms of how you uh, uh, assess uh, um, uh, you know the the new uh, the new uh, provisions that uh, they want to bring in. And so, you know, I think um, uh, you know that's obviously going to be done at the agency level. Um, and you know, there's a lot of opportunity for. You know, Canada to to lobby for exceptions. I think um, what what may be most um, uh, uh, troubling is the fact that um, Biden is creating a Buy American Czar who's going to sit in the uh, in the White House. Um, in in the past, exemptions um, you know were made you know by at the federal agency level. Now it's all going to be centralized in the White House. Um, that that raises um, the politicization of this issue to a very high level. He says, you know, he wants uh, 
$400 billion more in, in uh, I should say, American procurement of, uh, of goods. Um, and, uh, and that, um, you know, that, that's going to be a double-edged sword. I mean, on the one hand, you know, you can go to the White House and say, we want that exemption. But at the same time, uh, you know, it's kind of one-stop shopping. But, but, um, but at the same time, you know, it's, it's going to be very, very political. And I think, you know, we're talking about a, what, $2 trillion new infrastructure program. This is much bigger than anything we've seen before in terms of federal expenditures. And so, you know, there's potentially huge business there for, for Canada, you know, whether it's mm-hmm. our aluminum producers, our steel producers, um, you know, where there's still lots of restrictions in place, but they can't produce it in the United States. They're still going to have to buy it from us. Um, and there, I think, um, you know, we're, we're really going to have to play uh, offense and we're going to have to say to the Americans, look, you know, you can pay a lot more for this stuff, but your dollars are going to go a lot further if you buy it from us because we're cheaper. We're cheaper producers. And we're going to have to show them, as we did during, uh, you know, the USMCA negotiations, that you go this route, ultimately it's going to hurt you more than it hurts us. And we're going to have to show them the hard numbers because this, you know, this is an administration that does believe I think that facts matter. Uh, Bill, I want to talk to you about, uh, you had mentioned uh, something earlier, um, and it was regarding uh, our poll. Uh, yeah, we mentioned the number one is oh, reopening the border. Number two is the pandemic. Number three was climate change. And and I wonder, you know, obviously the Keystone XL pipeline has been canceled, but could the U.S. even support and approve Keystone XL and be a leader in climate change as both Biden and Trudeau say they are. Well, I think you know. I, I think the issue is is mostly about uh, you know Alberta having all of this oil locked up, and if it, uh, I do think that the uh, the forces in the United States that are influencing the president now um, feel strongly that this oil should be locked up, and I don't. So it's it's a difficult question. I mean, you can take the environmentalist view. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a correct view, I suppose, that if this oil never gets out of the ground uh, because it's a higher carbon oil, that's that's going to be good for the environment. Um, and but I think you, when you're looking at it from from the Canadian perspective and particularly the Alberta perspective, you know, it's not just a question of, of you know, sort of slowing down uh, the development of these oil resources. It's really it's really a question of cutting them off by cutting off access to global markets. I, I will say, however, one thing in the United States, I mean, a lot of people, if you if you if you make this case to them, they'll say, come on, you guys can't build a pipeline yourselves. And so why are you giving us a hard time about our pipeline? But nevertheless, I, I do think it's it's a, it's it's more of it's it's, it's mm-hmm. an issue that basically says, are you going to lock up that oil in Alberta forever? And that's really what the you know, what the problem is here. All right. Now, uh, uh, Mark, what what opportunities do you foresee, uh, at least in your area, uh, business wise, uh, with this new relationship between Canada and the U.S.? Oh, well, I think, as you suggested, it's, it thaws the uh, uh, relationship. Uh, I think we can start to work together on various things. I mean, we've been talking about Buy America. Uh, really, the target there is China, isn't it? Uh, and And so I think the new administration is going to be uh, back trying to get a coalition together to to approach uh, that issue uh, uh, rather than uh, uh, alone. 
with a group of, of like-minded folks. And, and so in that sense, I think uh, the U.S. and Canada can can join together and, and move forward uh, on that front. And that helps, uh, I think, all of us. Eric, the uh, pandemic was the second highest concern or issue uh, among our viewers and, and uh, listeners. And with this new relationship, how do you expect the response to the pandemic to improve or, or not improve? Well, certainly the Biden administration is finding out early on that uh, supporting the production of large amounts of vaccines and getting them into the arms of people is a complex undertaking. And so the Trump administration had little in the way of discernible plans, but the states certainly did. And what was really lacking was federal leadership in helping to drive coordination. But the United States is a big country. And so getting uh, people in different parts of the country to be able to have access to the vaccine is a complicated undertaking. Similarly, you look at the situation that, that one is facing now with export restrictions out of the European Union. Uh, there are certain locations in which uh, these medications are being produced and it should ask, should cause one to ask, well, does one need domestic manufacturing capability in the event of these sorts of crises? And it goes to the bigger question, I think, of what do we do about supply chains? So we've heard a lot during the Trump administration and certainly since the pandemic about need to shift supply chains out of China, what, we're, what are we going to do about it? The one country that has actually acted decisively on this front is Japan, where they have directly subsidized Japanese companies to leave China in certain strategic areas. And so the, the discussion really is, is how does one deal with this situation? But currently, as we let markets uh, work themselves out, there are certain production locations, many of which are in Europe, where these vaccines are being made. Yeah. And, and uh, Canadians and Americans will get them when they get them. But uh, looking ahead to ask the question of how do we ensure this doesn't happen again, a key part of that equation is what infrastructure does one need to have nationally in place to ensure that in an event of a crisis, you're not reliant on Belgium to get the vaccines you need. Yeah, exactly. Not a lot of, well, not very much in Canada in terms of domestic production. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, now, Bill, uh, your, your institute, the Cross-Border Institute, did a, a, an interesting study regarding the Gordie Howe Bridge, the new Gordie Howe Bridge, and the opportunities it's going to bring. What opportunities is this? Well, I think we, we were focusing not so much on, on you know, part, part of the study was looking at, you know, what are the savings, what are the benefits nationwide in both the United States and Canada, because it really is a, it's it's a bridge. I mean, there's more, more trucks come across that bridge from uh from Quebec then come across from Southwest Ontario. Um, but we were interested in what can be some of the economic development possibilities uh, in the area in Southwest Ontario and uh, in Southeast Michigan. Um, and, and really what you have here is one of the biggest flows of goods in trucks that exists anywhere in the world. And so taking, how do you take advantage of that by offering some sort of services? And you, you, know, you can't say, oh, we want the trucks to stop. If, the, if there isn't an economic rationale for the trucks to stop, they won't and they shouldn't. But uh, are there services, is, is there opportunity to use this as a point for development of, of logistics um, activities? 
And, you know, this is this is something that, uh, you know, you have to approach very cautiously because whenever you get the government in and saying, OK, that's a great idea, let's 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 create some sort of a logistics hub. You end up uh, I'm not going to name names here, but there are a few white elephants around the landscape, including in Canada. Uh, you don't want to do that, uh, but you want to be able to create the opportunities, given that you have, you know, if it's for people, the logistics people, I always say that this is it's a natural cross dock. It's 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 a place where. You know, trucks are coming in from all over the United States with goods for Canada, and then they come across the bridge, and then they need to be split up and sent off to other places in Canada. So there's lots of opportunities. And so what we've basically done is to make some recommendations in terms of how you might get some sort of a a, a binational initiative for development in that industry. And basically, the idea is, is that, you know, the benefit is very widespread, uh, but how do you take advantage of this amazing resource. I think of it as a rolling market, a huge rolling market. Um, and how do you take advantage of that? So the study is there. It's on our website. Anybody that'd like to see it, uh, please download it and have a look. Yep. University of Windsor. Now, now, Fenn, we've been talking an awful lot, obviously, just across the border here, but you know, it's a big world. International relations is a key point here. And Canada and the U.S. do have issues with China. How do you expect them to work together or will they work together to try and solve these concerns? Well, I think there there needs to be uh, obviously uh, a, a resolution of the uh, two Michaels problem um, sooner rather than later, and to uh, up the pressure on China to uh, to release uh, those two individuals. Um, you know, there was you know lots of uh, of uh, huffing and puffing by Donald Trump uh, uh, on uh, on the issue, but not much action. And, um, uh, you know, that has been a real constraint. Uh, I think one thing we have to realize is, you know, China's not going to go away. It, it too, is locked into uh, global value chains uh, because it's a competitive place to, uh, to make things. Um, but we do need to, uh, I think, uh, obviously, uh, be strategic as we deal with China. For example, on climate change. You know, Canada's not the culprit. Keystone's not the culprit. We all know that. The big emitters are China, uh, India now, uh, uh, as uh, it, it is uh, undergoing rapid uh, industrialization. And, uh, you know, China is still building a lot of uh, coal-fired uh, uh, plants uh, for uh, electricity generation. It's one reason why Canada should be selling natural gas uh, to uh, to China, uh, so that they can um, uh, convert uh, some of those uh, uh, power plants to uh, uh, a more carbon friendly uh, 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 fuel. Um, uh, I think um, you know when it comes to uh, security, uh, it's not just you know Canada and the United States uh, dealing with cybersecurity threats uh, that come from China. Uh, it's uh, it's other countries as well. Uh, the Biden administration has talked about, you know, a D10 approach, uh, democracies working more closely together. Uh, the British prime minister has uh, has also uh, said that. And I think there, you know, um, that's where we need to uh, to join hands. Biden sees himself as a as a big multilateralist. He wants to more, work more closely with the allies. And there, I think, um, you know, we can take a lead. But we have to we have to step up to the plate. We have to show some imagination. I mean, we have to recognize that, you know, for the next year, Biden's focus is going to be very much domestic. 
getting the pandemic under control, uh, getting uh, the economy uh, restarted. Uh, uh, I mean, that's obviously a challenge for us. Um, and um, so, you know, foreign policy uh, is, uh, you know, unless there's a major international crisis, is, is not going to be uh, the foremost priority of this uh, administration. Mm-hmm. Bill, do you feel the same way? Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree. I mean, I leave it to the expert uh, and the uh, international relations expert, but I think that uh, the multilateralism is is a complete change in terms of the new administration, and so things are going to look very different. Uh, Mark, uh, I want to talk to you about the new travel restrictions for Canadians and what kind of an impact that's going to have. Well, as the token American here, um, although I do hear some uh, Bostonian uh, accent in Dr. Uh, Anderson's uh, speech, but um, well, uh, uh, the uh, restrictions on on international uh, flights coming in, people coming back into Canada, uh, clearly uh, uh, it's going to affect uh, the snowbirds, as you mentioned, uh, in Florida. Um, but it's it's essential uh, and, and part of this whole reopening the border. We do have two systems now, one for flights and one for uh, land borders. Uh, we've got to coordinate. Uh, we've got to coordinate that. And with the vaccines coming along, uh, with the science uh, now going to be listened to, uh, you know, I think, uh, as I said, we're going to see some uh, some movement uh, in that uh, in that arena pretty quickly here. And let's sit, look maybe. Two years down the road, how do you see this relationship, uh, Canada-U.S. relationship, looking two years down the road, Eric? So two years down the road, I think uh, the relationship will be one where many commentators will be expressing their disappointment that somehow we're not back in the world of 2016. Things have fundamentally changed because the role of the United States in the world has fundamentally changed. And certainly uh, seeing the rise of China, which uh, Fenn was talking about earlier, is something that is really fundamental. Uh, I've said for a while that I think Canada seriously uh, needs a rethink on China, particularly uh, some sort of an expert panel uh, on China that will look at the relationship. Also, that same panel could look at the relationship with the United States and how the China relationship will uh, will impact uh, where we are with the United States. And so, I think I hope in two years that the that that I'll be able to go to Detroit and to Windsor and see Bill and Mark on the same day. Uh, but uh, in the same place, maybe. Yeah, maybe in the same place. <laughs> happy we'll, hour. Yeah, happy hour. So we'll. Uh, <laughs> But but we'll see where that's going. But uh, there there are no shortage of of challenges uh, mm-hmm. which are out there. But you know, fundamentally, I look at the at the coup in Myanmar, which is a country I've been to a couple of times. Uh, China is very much connected to what's going on there. They built an oil pipeline from the coast into China so that they don't have to send their tankers uh, through the uh, Straits of Malacca. And so lots of stuff is happening in Malaysia. And uh, I hope the United States will become more focused and engaged on what's happening there and that they will bring their allies with them. But there does need to be uh, a willingness for everyone to think outside the box, because in this new world, uh, the box is uh, is not the place where you're going to see prosperity and security being built. 
Gentlemen, I want to thank you for joining us. A great discussion on Canada-U.S. relations with a new president. Our guest this evening, Bill Anderson, director of the Cross-Border Institute at the University of Windsor. Fenn Hampson's the chancellor, chancellor's professor, professor of international affairs at Carleton University. Eric Miller is the president of the Rideau Potomac Strategy Group, and Mark High is the president of the Canada-U.S. Business Association. Coming up on the next Unpublished TV, why are doctors and nurses being muzzled by health administrators and politicians? Hope you can join us. Thanks for watching Unpublished TV. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand.